promise me something. Promise me that when we're here, we'll find adventures. All right, this is our chance to start over. I mean, do anything that we want to do. Welcome to the graveyard slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sohini. And today, to kick off Decom Summer, we're talking about the Lizzie McGuire movie. So for Decom Summer, we'll be discussing, you guessed it, <laughs> Decoms <laughs> for the next few episodes. And we're starting with the Lizzie McGuire movie. While it did have a theatrical release, it is unofficially a decom because it also had a Disney Channel release. Yeah, it's an honorary decom. Yes. <laughs> so the Lizzie McGuire movie starts when Lizzie heads off to Rome on a graduation trip. And while she's there, she finds out she's got a striking resemblance to singer Isabella, one half of famous pop duo Paolo and Isabella. With the promise of adventure, Lizzie sets off on a journey to not only discover Rome, but also herself. The movie was released in 2003 and directed by Jim Fall and written by Susan Estelle Jansen, who was also involved in the Bratz movie, and Ed Dechter and John J. Strauss, whose names you might recognize from Something About Mary. So obviously this is the movie for the show Lizzie McGuire, which is one that you really liked growing up, didn't you, Sohini? <laughs> Why, yes, I did. <laughs> and you really liked this movie. So does most people, I think. Everyone I know really loves this movie. I never saw Lizzie McGuire. I can't tell you the first thing about it. I just, I just didn't watch it as a kid. I never saw this movie either, so we thought it would be really interesting to look at this movie from both perspectives. Someone who knows nothing about Lizzie McGuire and someone who knows a lot about Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, as usual, see if it merits more credit than it's been given by the general public. Mm -hmm. But on that subject, do you have a review? I have a couple <laughs> that I found interesting. So given the very low rating this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, I think 40%, I was actually quite surprised to find that some critics did have positive words to say about it. There were some contradictory opinions on whether the movie was an effective extension of the show and the degree of value it might hold. But still, many of the comments involved words like harmless and fluff and weightless, and it seemed like the general consensus is that this movie is only entertaining to people who are already fans of the Lizzie McGuire TV show. Probably the meanest one was from the Washington Post, and it said that the movie is, quote, a smug, cutesy music video slash fashion show for Duff, which I think is a little bit too reductive when you're talking about the movie. I do think it has more merit than that. Yeah, I think I disagree if only because I actually expected this movie to be more of a music video slash fashion show for Hilary Duff. But yeah, it's like if this movie is a music video slash fashion show, it's one that lacks music and, and dancing and fashion. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't, I'm sorry, but I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment of this review. Like, it's like a vehicle for something, is what the review is basically saying. And they're saying that it is a vehicle for a whole of music video and fashion show. I think like... It's a vehicle for something. I'm just not sure why. And I'll elaborate on that later. I found a review from the Miami Herald that somewhat echoes my thoughts on this. So it reads, 
The success of the Lizzie McGuire movie, in which Duff acts and sings while playing both her beloved character and an Italian lookalike, is probably slam dunk. That doesn't mean it's a great movie. That's a thinker. (laughs) They probably meant it, you know, in a negative way. I kind of agree with this, but not necessarily in a negative way, just in a factual sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a guaranteed success and almost like a guaranteed people pleaser. Like, I don't think the movie is disappointing enough to fail. And I think like whether or not it's a great movie is almost a moot point at that point. Yeah, I can see what they mean. It depends on what standards you're holding it by and depends on what the filmmakers were trying to do with it. And by certain standards, for sure, it's a very successful movie. But I agree, that doesn't necessarily make it a great story in itself by default. But then again, I also do want to say that just because something is inoffensive or you know any of the other things I mentioned before harmless and fluffy and weightless doesn't necessarily mean it's automatically a bad movie as well yeah I mean hello morning glory (laughs) I don't know the number of montages I don't know if that's entirely harmless (laughs) death by montage I will say this movie has quite a few montages see you should like it more just because of that I did enjoy the montages. (laughs) I'm glad. In terms of like what yardstick we're measuring this against, I think like a really easy movie to compare this against is Hannah Montana the movie. That's entirely fair. That's what I was thinking as well. That's, I think, like such a shining example of what a movie should be. And that includes like standalone movies and movies attached to a series. Yeah, I think it's a very warranted comparison. So we'll be discussing this movie chronologically as usual. And we start with a spy sequence? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the movie starts off with Lizzie getting ready for graduation. And meanwhile, we see her brother Matt spying on her, trying to gather blackmail material, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting that the movie does start off with Matt's ploy to embarrass Lizzie instead of with Lizzie herself. Because a prevalent theme throughout this movie is Lizzie learning to become more confident. And also, they're playing around with her identity and the identity of this famous pop star that she has to adopt as kind of a persona so the fact that the real lizzie is supposed to be like this embarrassing person it's almost a testament to how important other people's perception of her is to her like how much that informs how she sees herself i agree it's great framing because that's like what the whole movie is about like public humiliation basically that's what she contends with the entire movie it kind of reminds me of the framing in the princess diaries where we start off with mia unable to deliver a speech to her class and it ends with her addressing a bunch of world leaders and politicians and stuff and in a similar way lizzie she's so carefree and confident in her room but then in the next scene we see her humiliate herself (laughs) at her graduation which serves as a nice counter 
counterpoint when we see her perform in front of a bunch more people at the end. We start with Lizzie dancing around in her room and it's like a dance montage kind of thing. I wish Hilary Duff had been singing along to the music the whole time. Because it's supposed to be an embarrassing dancing and singing like no one's watching in your room, right? But like towards the end... I buy it more when she's actually singing along. Like, she feels more free and, like, relaxed. But this montage goes on for a long time. But it's also the opening credits. They have to credit everybody. (laughs) I don't know. I also have a problem, actually, with the directing in this movie. Especially in these moments where they're, like, singing and dancing and whatever. Because something about the camera movement is, like, at times so static. It almost, like, the direction strips the scene of its movement and of its, like, natural excitement. I will say I have a lot of issues with the directing of this movie. I don't know if it's also, like, the sound design or something. This is my biggest gripe, by the way, with the movie, is these dancing scenes. Okay, that's good. You got it out of the way early. So from now on, I can only expect glowing praise from you, right? No, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It didn't bother me as much as it seems to have bothered you. (laughs) I actually quite like it that it starts off with the actual singer's voice front and center and then eventually by the end Hilary Duff's voice is phased in because I think it serves as nice foreshadowing for what's going to happen. That's a great point. Yeah, it's like her finding her voice in this scene kind of foreshadowing her finding her voice overall. Yeah, I think I was also trying to grapple with like what is the premise of Lizzie McGuire? Because I can't tell from this movie. The Lizzie McGuire TV show is actually quite different. The movie's much more out there. Lizzie McGuire is basically about an average teenager navigating school life and home life and friendship. It's just handling different topics based around issues you can face as a 12, 13 year old. It sounds really basic when you just say it like that, but I think that is what made Lizzie McGuire so popular is that she's kind of like an every woman. What does the animated Lizzie do? I like animated Lizzie. I do too. I think it's one of the best parts of the show and the movie. But just the concept of Lizzie McGuire in general. I agree. I think that's the most interesting part of Lizzie McGuire. I don't know what the deal is with the animated Lizzie in the TV show, but I think it's underused in the movie. Animated Lizzie serves the same purpose in the show as it does in the movie, which is basically to articulate the things that human Lizzie wishes she could say or that she's too nice to say. (laughs) Yeah, I think animated Lizzie is underused because it doesn't really affect the plot at all. Not even in the sense of like character development. Like I was, I guess, expecting for Lizzie to interact with animated Lizzie. Not in the sense that like I'm seeing things, but more like she's talking to herself, you know? Yeah. But in the world of the movie, there is no animated Lizzie. It's just for us. And like that's also fine. But again, like I said, it doesn't inform the story in any way. Yeah, I agree with that. But that doesn't necessarily detract from the value of animated Lizzie for me because yeah 
animated Lizzie doesn't affect the plot in any way, doesn't induce character growth in any way, but I think animated Lizzie shows character growth. Animated Lizzie makes the audience more aware of Lizzie's internal world and how that's fitting with what's going on externally. And I think they serve as an interesting counterpoint to each other. So for example, when Lizzie's told that she has to deliver a speech at her graduation, animated Lizzie immediately runs screaming. But we do see that human Lizzie stays and gives it her best attempt. And another example that comes to mind is when Paolo asks Lizzie to impersonate Isabella and animated Lizzie is immediately convinced and wants to do it. But human Lizzie has her doubts and that holds her back from articulating what she really wants to say in reality. So I think the animated version, it makes Lizzie a more rounded character because she feels more human with the animated version there. Because we all have things we think and feel and say that can be very different from what we actually do. And it feels like an effective and creative way to convey Lizzie's internal world without resorting to something as bland as like voiceover yeah i agree with you my thing is like in the movie whatever we learn from animated lizzie is never not clear just from human lizzie like we understand when she's told she needs to do the speech that it sucks and she would rather not mm -hmm. and even without animated lizzie expressing that we understand from human lizzie as well and we can see that she still does it anyway so like every time animated Lizzie does her thing unfortunately her function is redundant because human Lizzie has already expressed that and I still like animated Lizzie because it was fun but from a like writing perspective I think they underused animated Lizzie because in theory I understand what the function is except they like didn't do it in the movie I can see why it might come across that way because animated Lizzie's presence might feel more significant in like a 20 minute episode than it does in a two hour movie. But that being said, I still don't think it's redundant because it emphasizes what we might already know, but it makes us confront it more head on. Like, yeah, we understand Lizzie is nervous about giving the graduation speech. We can tell that from her face, but animated Lizzie really highlights that her first instinct is to run away. So when we see her actually still giving the speech, it's very much apparent that she's fighting against that instinct to immediately run yeah but yeah we do see her at the graduation <laughs> because lizzie has to make an impromptu speech and so animated lizzie freaks out and this is such a dick move by the school like you tell somebody that they need to make a speech like <laughs> that is so last minute they don't even take down the margaret chen poster <laughs> which is so funny that there's a giant margaret chen poster for graduation like to especially motivate her the teacher also tells her that Lizzie could never measure up to market so that's <laughs> the cherry on top of the cake I was just gonna say this is like the OG Troy Bolton giant poster <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had the prototype for this movie and then they were like, no, we can go even bigger. <laughs> Let's Ross it. On the subject of Ross, we meet Gordo at graduation and the first impression I get of him is Lizzie literally just asking her friend, 
do I look okay? And Gordo's like, are you asking me? I'm a dude. I've got a dick. Don't ask me that. (laughs) It's just like, do I look okay? It's not like, even if this question would also be acceptable to ask to a guy, but she's not like, you know, what are your fashion thoughts on my ensemble? (laughs) She's just like, I'm in a robe. Is something sticking out of my like zipper or whatever. (laughs) And Gordo's like, ew. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, he does take the question a bit too literally. Though I do think that actually it was just a ploy to bring up Miranda, Lizzie's other best friend, and explain away her absence as quickly as they could. They could have gone about it better. I think a simple, I miss Miranda from Lizzie would have been enough to bring up Miranda. (laughs) Yeah. We also meet Lizzie's parents. I'm sorry. I don't hate this movie, to be clear. I had a lot of fun watching it. I just, this is how I feel about a lot of the characters, I guess. I can't get a grasp on the mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is just quickly becoming me explaining (laughs) the show to you. Which does reflect on the quality of the movie, I guess. If I think about it, I think the movie does do a bit of a disservice to a lot of the secondary characters, including Lizzie's parents. Because I mentioned to you a while ago that I was re-watching the Lizzie McGuire TV show, and I quickly found that now that I'm much older, Lizzie's parents are actually the best part of the show to me now. (laughs) And the show is much better in terms of developing Lizzie's mom and dad as supporting characters. Here in the movie, they kind of reduce her to a little bit of a hysterical mother. <laughs> She's always just fretting about Lizzie and worrying about Lizzie and anxious about Lizzie. She has more nuance to her character in the show, which doesn't really come through here. And I think, yeah, this may be one of the parts where the movie cuts corners because they're quite sure that most people who watch this movie will already be familiar enough with the character to fill in the blanks. Yeah. But basically, Lizzie embarrasses herself when she has to give the speech. We find out at the next scene when they're at the airport because Lizzie's gonna go off to Rome that the video was on GMA, <laughs> which was so funny to me. It's not even like on funniest home videos, which would make more sense. Yeah. And I wish they had because I really like this running joke. Like, I genuinely think it's hilarious that it's on GMA and then later on it's on CNN. CNN. <laughs> so over the top I fucking love it but I think it would have been even funnier and they only do it twice GMA and CNN and hello the rule of three so I feel like it should have started with funniest home videos which would make more sense and then it gets more and more absurd yeah I agree that would have been funnier But yeah, we see Lizzie at the airport about to embark on the trip to Rome. And they're all going with their future high school principal, who's going to be their chaperone. I like the little montage of Lizzie and Gordo on the plane. And not just because it's a montage. (laughs) I also really like that montage. I think even to people who might not have seen the show... I think they do a fair enough job of establishing Lizzie and Gordo's friendship. It's a very effective montage. This is what montages are made for. But yeah, at the hotel. I thought it was really funny that Lizzie gets roomed with Kate because of Margaret Chen. Like Margaret Chen is really (laughs) fucking up her life at every avenue. I found this so funny. Like this and the GMA thing was like my favorite running jokes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so too. It also occurred to me that Margaret Chen has a big hand in in what happens in this movie. But so Lizzie gets roomed with Kate and Gordo gets roomed with Ethan. And I really like those two characters. They're fun. Yeah, I was surprised by how 
amusing their little quips were. And not just them, but also a lot of the characters in the background were really fun. It kind of reminded me of The Princess Diaries in a way because it really seemed like they had a world of their own going on in the background. Like the guy in the gladiator outfit who was dozing by the side of the school bus <laughs> and the manager of the hotel and I think it added a lot of humor and character into the movie. I think the fact that I find those side characters the highlight of the movie is bad because I find them so entertaining but whenever it's Lizzie and Paolo it's like that charm is immediately gone for me. <laughs> I am only entertained when it's the side characters and I feel like even if like Paolo is supposed to be this douche whatever I should still enjoy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the charm wears off when it's about Lizzie and Paolo. That much I think is supposed to be intentional but I can see that yeah. I think that's because Kate and Ethan for example they actually have character they actually have personalities and I cannot tell you what Lizzie's personality is. It's just that I guess she goes along with everything and that's it. See this is what I was kind of talking about in the show which is that Lizzie's kind of like an every woman that any viewer can project themselves onto and I think this continues in the movie as well which might be to its detriment really because Lizzie is too much of a straight man to be as charming and as engaging as some of the side characters we see in the movie because I think the creators are too reluctant to give Lizzie too much of a strong personality because then she won't be as, you know, as universal a character anymore, as, as universally relatable, I guess. And also in the show, there are many more such wacky characters that Lizzie actually balances out. So like, we see more of Ethan and Kate and their sometimes more outrageous ways, as well as other characters that we see in school and I think in that kind of context, the fact that she's more generic is a good balance. And that forms her personality. Yeah. I mean, she's the average girl, right? She's the average teenager. And that's what is novel seeing on screen is someone who's just like me, who's, you know, not extremely smart or extremely confident or extremely popular. She's just sort of in the middle. She's kind of sort of hanging on and doing her best. That's the point of the TV show. But in the movie, she's very far removed from these wacky characters and it's not quite the almost confined settings we get in the TV show. You know, school, home, it's a huge wide sprawling city and most of the time she's spending with Paolo who's also not that engaging as a character. So her everyman qualities, which work really well in the show, kind of hinder how engaging she is in the movie. So I can see why you were more entertained by the sidekick. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, say she's more of a straight man, then she has to actually react to the wacky characters and be around them and whatever. But here she's, like, the only person she's really bouncing off of is Paolo. And the wacky characters are, like, even when they're around her, she's not bouncing off of them. She's not reacting to them and stuff. And, like, I can just picture, like, what it would be to have Lizzie actually with these wacky characters. And I think that would be really entertaining, but that's just, like, not what we get in this movie. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, for the majority of the movie, the 
only character she interacts with directly is Paolo, which isn't that engaging. Because I'm thinking of, as a comparison, the dynamic between Gordo and Ethan, or like even better, Gordo and Kate, because they're on screen for pretty short amounts of time, but whenever they are, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, I loved Gordo in this movie. Oh, I'm glad. See, it's because <laughs> we keep seeing Gordo with these wacky characters, with the chaperone, with whoever, and he is a bit of a straight man. Like, he has more of a personality, but just imagine like Lizzie in his position, for example, even without any personality, she still would have been entertaining. And actually, I was gonna compare Cinderella's story. So, for example, just compare her with Sam. Sam is also an every woman, but she still has way more personality than Lizzie, I would say. Does she? I don't know that she does, honestly, because I don't know if playing baseball is a personality trait. <laughs> But she does have more opportunities to bounce off of the wacky characters like Fiona. So I will give you that. I think it's the reflection of the wacky characters making her seem more interesting. But I don't think she's any more interesting than Lizzie. I'm sorry. No, you're right. I guess that's what it is. It goes to show what you can do with the character that has your personality. Just look at Sam. <laughs> but also, I would like to remind you, she doesn't only play baseball. She only plays baseball badly. <laughs> That's a very important distinction. You're right. That changes everything. <laughs> Let's get back to this movie. Yes. The first thing they visit is Trevi Fountain. And this is where we meet Paolo. Yeah, unfortunately. Lizzie comes face to face with Paolo, who immediately thinks she's someone called Isabella. And she finds out that she is basically a doppelganger of Paolo's singing partner, Isabella. Because they're accosted by fans and someone gives her a giant wheel of cheese. <laughs> Well, I will say his entrance immediately makes him look like a douche. And I can't tell if like this was cool. You get like these transparent shades, mm. you get the wide open collar, even like his hair. I don't know what it is. Like the way they framed him. <laughs> this is the thing. I can't tell if in the moment it was supposed to be like, this is an attractive love interest for Lizzie. Is that like the effect people back then thought? Because current me looking at this is like, oh, that's the villain. Or like, not the villain, but like, oh, that's the douche that we get for this movie. The shades, so <laughs> <laughs> Need I remind you, it's a fashion show for Hillary Duff, not for the other people. <laughs> well, maybe that's what it is. That's why I immediately was like, hey, 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 this is not your moment. But on that subject, actually, this is a great fashion show for Hillary Duff. She looks so cute in this movie. It's very 2000s, but like, I love her looks. Yeah, I agree. But about Paolo's first impression, I cannot tell you what the wider audience thought of Paolo. I can only tell you what I thought when I was a kid and I am embarrassed to say that I did not perceive him as the douchebag of this movie <laughs> definitely as the movie goes on it becomes more and more apparent and I don't know how I didn't see that before come on <laughs> I actually really like the moment where Lizzie says this is my friend Gordo and he's like oh yeah this is my friend Sergey." and then like that he equates my friend Gordo with my <laughs> friend Sergey. yeah <laughs> As if they're just like two pals. I'd like to imagine when they're not with Lizzie or whoever, they're like actually always like bonding and stuff. Like he's not this, you know, stoic bodyguard who's like always at his elbow. Like they just <laughs> hang out. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> You don't know, maybe they uh, tour Rome on his Vespa and 
eat pizza and gelato. <laughs> he writes in the back. You know what? That would be so funny, actually, if there is this whole thread. Because at the end, Sergei leaves Paolo because he's a dick. And if there's this whole thread about, like, the dissolution of their friendship, because over time, Sergei realizes that Paolo treats him badly, and he's not a good guy. And, you know, at the end, it's not about just, like, I'm quitting as your employee, but also, like, this friendship is no more. Yeah, it's kind of like Joe and Mia vibes, except it goes downhill. Yeah. So, yeah, Paolo kind of follows her when she leaves with her tour to get gelato. And, like, this is a mistake in the movie. This is a failure of the movie that I'm like, why did they do it like this? But I think for one, it's really weird that Paolo follows her. But also, like, he tells her, like, oh, you look just like Isabella. And then she has to go. And then she goes and then he follows her. And then he immediately jumps into, like, more stuff about Isabella. And then he's like, I want to see you again. But I understand as the movie goes on and just from the premise that we're to believe that Lizzie is like, this is a cute boy and he wants to see me and this is flirting and we're gonna meet up and hang out. But in the actual scenes, Paolo never expresses interest in her. All he talks about is that you look like Isabella and that's it. And he's like, will you meet me again tomorrow? And it's like, why? Like, I feel like Lizzie should have been like, oh, why? You know, (laughs) because he didn't flirt with her. Yeah. That is true. He doesn't tell her why he wants to see her at all. Just give him one line where he's like being a weird flirt so that Lizzie can come to the conclusion that he is interested in her, which she does. But unfortunately, nothing led her to that conclusion. The way this happens is like a stranger is like, you look just like my friend. You want to meet tomorrow? (laughs) That is literally what happens. No, you're right. You're right. There are some little things like this that it's like they were getting there, but they never completed the effort. They're little things that stand out and kind of create these weird situations. It's not the same thing. But one thing that really annoyed me is there are some times when stuff just happens really conveniently and people are looking away when they need to be looking away and the room is conveniently empty when it needs to be empty and fans show up exactly when you need them to show up and it takes away from the movie. I think it's also like it infuriates me even more because they could have easily just done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no reason to not do it. But yeah, this is where Gordo encourages Lizzie to accept Paolo's offer to meet up the next day. So she sneaks away and Paolo takes her around the city. I want to say, this is how confused I was. In my notes, it says, okay, I guess we're to believe he expressed romantic interest, question mark, and that this is a date. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially when in this scene, Lizzie asks Paolo whether he's still in love with Isabella. And I'm like, when was it established that he loved her? Yeah, like there are so many leaps. Why wouldn't Paolo be confused about Lizzie asking? And <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, before she gets to the date, I guess, she fakes being sick. And I really liked the part where she gets a prescription, but the prescription <laughs> is like nonsense, basically. I thought that was a really funny joke. Yeah, there are lots of little moments moments like this where it's kind of like an offhand joke but I think they land pretty well. I read this review from AV Club which said that the movie benefits from being shot largely in Rome and it kind of reminded me of something we've talked about before regarding quite a few movies actually (laughs) which is the importance of location in a movie and the ways in which the setting can be used more than just making it a beautiful background. And it seems like this review 
is kind of leaning towards the direction of Rome just being something pretty to distract the viewers from the lack of substance in the movie, similar to Letters to Juliet and Monte Carlo. But I don't know that I entirely agree because Lizzie and Paolo exploring Rome is a big part of them getting to know each other. And I think there are some parallels in the way they interact with the city and the way they interact with each other. Because in the beginning, when they're just getting to know each other, they're exploring more crowded and popular tourist attractions. But as they get to know each other more, he brings her to more, quote, special or secluded places. And of course, the context of this changes when we realize he's deceiving her. But it's basically, we realize that he's quite literally leading her astray, leading her away from the path that she set out to follow with her friends and Gordo specifically. Because in the beginning, they promise that they're going to find adventure on this trip. And for Lizzie, Paolo comes to mean adventure. So exploring Rome basically becomes equated to learning about Paolo, getting to know Paolo, and he's basically equated to discovering a new place and finding new aspects of yourself that you never knew you had, which is like on the surface, an ideal journey of self-discovery, except for the fact that Paolo's very existence makes it impossible for Lizzie to be herself. <laughs> his plan and his ideas of who Lizzie has to be stand in the way of her being herself and finding value in her own identity rather than hiding behind someone else's. Yeah, I don't think I disagree with you. The depiction of Rome is supposed to be hollow. It's a reflection of Paolo. I agree with your point. I will say, I guess this has nothing to do with the discussion of whether or not this movie treats Rome <laughs> with any kind of respect. Just in terms of the movie itself and like storytelling, I didn't like that. We get to the day and then it's immediately like, all right, let's go ride around on my scooter. And that's always what they do when they meet up there's never even a conversation or anything they talk sometimes but it's always just like transitional talk something to like introduce the award show it drove me up the fucking wall and like for this story to work there has to be deceit he barely deceives her because he doesn't they've never exchanged any substantial like conversation they keep doing this they act as if they have established this thing and they haven't and it's not like it happens off screen we're not supposed to believe that it happens off screen we are supposed to believe that this is them bonding <laughs> it feels like i'm being gaslit it's like no paulo asked her out remember and i'm like no i don't remember when did he ask her out and they're like no they've been hanging out they're like having crushes on each other and I'm like when did that happen and they're like oh you're just crazy you missed it you didn't pay attention I'm like I paid attention I'm watching the movie <laughs> I'm so frustrated no I agree with everything you said I guess I have two different reactions because looking at it from the perspective of what I was saying before I think a part of it is a deflection strategy because the more they're roaming around the city the less they're talking and discussing things that actually matter because the one thing I noticed about Paolo is that he only divulges information at his convenience and at his will. Lizzie's never really in control of the situation and so Paolo 
driving her around is basically like an embodiment of him leading her around the main issue and avoiding the main point, which is that she basically can't trust him. She doesn't know anything about him. It's all about the shiny surface. But looking at it from a storytelling point of view, yeah, there are several steps missing. And maybe I'm giving the movie too much credit in saying that that is how it's supposed to be. Maybe the viewer is supposed to feel out of step with this whole thing and be wary of Paolo. And maybe we're not supposed to be convinced that Paolo is the good guy here. But yeah, you're right. If we're supposed to feel betrayal, if we're supposed to feel shock at the way things turn out to be, they don't really do that great of a job. I think if it's like, on purpose or whatever then it should be that they're talking but then you realize everything that Paolo is saying as like hollow and he's not actually saying anything it's like within the universe the scene doesn't make logical sense for example they talk right you know he spins the story and and then he asks Lizzie to take Isabella's place or something and then Lizzie's like sure and then she says something to the effect of like if this is gonna help you and Isabella then I'll do it but it's like why do you like we are supposed to believe that she already has stakes in this and like we never established that you have stakes in this this is just as random as if like the guy from the next table over asked you to do this (laughs) yeah I see your point I still maintain that a tiny part of this has to do with Paolo immediately gaining control of the situation and minimizing any situations where he could divulge any real information but yes for the most part I agree that the story itself is missing parts that need to be there for us to be invested and for it to make sense for Lizzie to be so convinced immediately and willing to help. I agree. The only reason I can come up with is that she's charmed by Paolo and she really believes that they have some kind of connection and a possibility of a relationship going forward. But if that's to be believable, we need to see a lot more of the two of them bonding and getting to know each other and stuff. But all their conversations only center around her helping him. Isabella! Yeah. So she tells Gordo about this thing that she's helping Paolo with. And it's that she'll take Isabella's place at an award show because Isabella doesn't want to do it. And they'll get in trouble with the record label. Lizzie explains the whole plan to Gordo. I don't have much to say except I feel bad for Gordo. (laughs) He's being so rational about this. Gordo's just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Ethan was like listening from the bathroom and he points out that Gordo is just jealous and I don't buy it at all. I understand why Ethan says what he does, but like what Gordo says has nothing to do with jealousy. I feel like they should have had Gordo say something that sounds more jealous if they want Ethan to say this to him. (laughs) That's true. I do think he's... A little bit hurt by just how much fun Lizzie had and it's almost like he's let down by just how great of a time she's having without him but again I think his jealousy is not what's driving him to react the way he is here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing she says when she's explaining the whole situation is it's not going to be her there. It's going to be Isabella. She says it's not going to be me when Gordo points out that, you know, you've got a fear of crowds and you've got a fear of public speaking and performances and stuff. And I really like this thread they have going on about Lizzie adopting someone else's identity and how that's affecting her confidence. And I kind of wish they had gone even further with it because for example, later on, we see her gain more courage to stand up 
to her stylist because supposedly that's what Isabella would have done. So I think it might have been interesting to see her grapple with the fact that she can only be more confident when she's pretending to be someone else and also that she's perceiving that her value is coming from her being someone else. Like if Paolo had been even more insistent about her pretending to be Isabella and almost like imposing Isabella's characteristics and imposing Isabella's identity onto Lizzie, basically. That would have been really interesting, yeah. You know what I'm also realizing is that this movie, I hate to tell you, Sohini, sounds more and more like Monte Carlo by the second. (laughs) You take that back. Even Monte Carlo grapples with that fact of Grace's identity and the fact that her love interest conflates her personality and her false identities. There's less crime in this one. I mean... (laughs) I said less crime, not no crime. (laughs) But it also brings up the question of like self. Like what does that even mean? I guess the conclusion this movie comes to is that Lizzie had it in herself all along. She didn't need to pretend to be someone else to gain confidence. It was her all along. But it's like when she is pretending, is it really her? Or is it real if it's happening while she's pretending to be someone else? (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like her over time losing herself to Isabella. Yeah, exactly. Not even just to Isabella in the sense of like this false persona that she's putting on, but the actual real Isabella. Yeah, okay. There's this point in the movie where after she's been styled as Isabella, Lizzie is so happy and she says, goodbye, Lizzie McGuire. Hello, fabulous. And it was actually kind of sad to me because moments before that, when she had been telling Paolo that all of these outfits don't really suit her or they're not really her style, Paolo actually laughs and says she's not supposed to be her. The clothes aren't supposed to be for her. And it's like her identity is being consumed by Isabella's. Yeah. You know what this is? This is Rebecca. She's haunted by her partner's ex-wife. That is not the conclusion I was expecting to come to, but I will take it over Monte Carlo. (laughs) This is Rebecca meets Monte Carlo. (laughs) The movie ends with Lizzie talking to Paolo about like her actual life and Paolo's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You're making no sense, Isabella. (laughs) God, that's creepy. Yeah. But yeah, since we are there, so she gets made up and it's a whole montage. I like this montage. Surprise, surprise. I like that it kind of fills two functions because on the surface to everyone else, it's Isabella trying on different outfits for this awards show. But for Lizzie, it's like trying on different iterations of someone else's identity Yeah. because they don't really hone in on this in the movie, but it's almost like the different outfits could serve to emphasize different parts of this fictional identity. And basically it's like you're getting to pick and choose what your personality is going to be like like this outfit makes you feel beautiful and you know maybe it makes you feel feminine and empowered or maybe this outfit makes you feel really bold and confident and it's like you can basically be whoever you want to be but the whole time the real you was hiding behind a persona 
Also, there are these parts where Lizzie and Paolo interact during this whole sequence and it's almost on the surface looking like he's somewhat of a confidant and that he's protecting her against the other people's suspicions and supporting her when she's feeling unsure. And I like the duality of that at least. It feels like at least this scene between them has more depth because given everything that happens, these interactions take on a very different light. This is actually one of the few moments where I liked their dynamic because they have one. <laughs> like they're actually interacting with one another. Yeah. I like it here that they're in cahoots, that they have some kind of relationship as characters. Back at the hotel, Kate finds out what's been going on and Gordo uh, shows up and he's got this magazine with an article in it that says that Paolo and Isabella are not only presenting an award, they're supposed to be performing at this awards show. And Gordo is suspicious that Paolo didn't tell Lizzie that she's supposed to be singing, but Lizzie doesn't really care. <laughs> Yeah. I kind of like that this happens while they're literally leafing through this magazine while Gordo's trying to talk some sense into Lizzie and Kate. And I kind of like that it's like a literal depiction of what's going on, which is that they're too distracted by the shiny surface to really see what's going on, to really understand. Although, given everything we've discussed, I don't buy it anymore that Lizzie would not listen to her friend, that she would be so convinced by this dude she met two days ago. <laughs> yeah. The weird thing is like, he's not a famous person that she knows. It's one thing for them to touch on the fact that like people think they know celebrities because they know them as celebrities and like trust them. It's another to be like, this this is a random dude that is supposedly famous. <laughs> They're far too trusting of Paolo. Even his fame aside, he's bringing her around the city and it's like anything could happen. He's a stranger. <laughs> famous or not, he's a strange guy. Yeah. Like this isn't based on anything. Yeah. But yeah, Lizzie meets up with Paolo again. <laughs> they go off once more and Lizzie asks him what he's doing there and Paolo tells her that she's not the only one sneaking away. And I think this is such a kind of manipulative way of making it seem like he's taking the same kind of risks as she is. Well, that's so not true when she has much more at stake than he does in this whole situation. And like he has way more power. He's employing Sergei. Yeah, but yeah, they go to this park and Lizzie confronts him about the fact that she's supposed to be singing. But yeah, he basically convinces her into thinking that everything will be fine and trust me and hasn't everything I've said so far hasn't that happened and so this whole thing will be fine too and again I found the setting here quite interesting because Paolo leads Lizzie around the garden as he's convincing her to sing and as I said before it's like the beauty of the sights are supposed to reflect onto him and make him seem more attractive and by extension trustworthy. It's all surface level, it's all superficial, which I think is an effective way of using the pretty settings. It's like he's leading her further and further into the maze. Exactly. He also says you're having the time of your life being someone else, which is like supposed to be one of the things that convinces her. And I think that's a pretty big clue as to how he feels about the actual person he's toying with. It's more malicious than I ever realized as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like taking a holiday from your own identity and that's supposed to be a good thing. 
the concept may sound appealing, but it presents this version that is so twisted. Like when you take it too far, or like once you're actually doing it, you realize, huh, this is kind of fucked up. <laughs> and it's like it's especially so for Lizzie, who isn't really doing it for herself or voluntarily. Like she's kind of coerced into it, so it's like even more so twisted. Yeah. But so this time the chaperone really almost finds out that Lizzie isn't where she's supposed to be, and Gordo basically covers for her and gets in trouble. And there's this door gimmick with the elevator <laughs> that goes on for like way too long and it is perfect it was so funny and they do it so well and again i really like gordo's character and i think i really like the actor like he does such a good job like it stood out to me so much because the other child actors were lacking to me and so his acting really stood out to me and seeing him and the chaperone have scenes together was always like so entertaining and so good <laughs> and having this physical gag with the doors of the elevators while they're having this back and forth was so well done. I'm glad you brought that to my attention. Now that you put it that way, it kind of reminds me of the way they embodied emotions and interactions into physical actions in the Princess Diaries. Like when Mia and Lily are finally airing all their grievances against each other. They're tossing this basketball back and forth between them. So this is like the equivalent of Gordo continuously snatching the conversation piece to himself and trying to foil the chaperone's efforts to go and see Lizzie. And the fact that it goes on for too long is indicative of how far Gordo is willing to go to protect his friend. And I think that's kind of sweet. <laughs> so it's like, it's funny and it works well but it also adds another layer to Gordo's character which I really like. But Gordo basically gets sent home for getting in trouble which like to me is so like who is paying for this new plane ticket? Who is chaperoning him to fly internationally? It literally no one is there to make sure he gets on the flight and he actually doesn't. <laughs> yeah! It would be so funny if when the chaperone finally realizes Gordo's also there, she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so Lizzie and Paolo actually rehearse, which would make sense. But this is when Paolo tells her that they'll lip sync. So he didn't say that before. Lizzie agreed to singing on stage. So I feel like when, you know, later on they discover that there's no backing vocal or whatever, like tape for her, she should be just like, oh, I guess we're just falling back on the old plan. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just like, I am so shocked that Lizzie would even say yes to this without lip syncing. Yeah. Before she says yes, we actually get a bunch of manipulation from Paolo's part. So given how malicious he's been throughout the movie, I kind of am convinced that even though this is one of her greatest fears, that she would be swayed enough by Paolo to believe that maybe everything will be okay. And besides, even if she does actually have to sing, she still got that armor of Isabella's identity. So maybe that's enough to convince her. I don't know. Okay, here's when I will bring up my biggest gripe with the movie again, which is the way they direct these musical scenes. It's like kind of like a mini montage of them rehearsing. And I understand that the music is for the movie and not what they're dancing to. But the scene feels so weird. The music and the beat 
and the footage never match in energy. It's really odd. I never liked this scene that much because they play a jazzy version of what dreams are made of. And I guess the point is to hide from the audience what the actual song sounds like until we get to the big performance. But to me, it never really worked with the rest of the movie. Like it felt out of place. So Lizzie comes back to the hotel after the rehearsal and she finds out that Gordo's been sent home. Through the hotel manager, she finds out that his flight has already left and she feels really torn up about it and wants to confess everything to the chaperone. But Kate convinces her to go through with the plan because otherwise Gordo covering for her and going home for her will all have been in vain. But yeah, Ethan tells on Lizzie because he knows everything. And oh, the family's actually at the hotel now because they went after her, which I thought was so weird. Like they're going all the way to Rome. Like they don't even live in Europe or anything. It is very over the top. <laughs> we haven't really talked about it, but there's been this whole subplot going of Matt trying to collect even more blackmail material about Lizzie. And once he realizes that she's got this whole doppelganger thing going on, he convinces his parents parents to go see Lizzie because he's so concerned about her and he misses her so much. So they conveniently arrive at the hotel at this point and together with the chaperone and the rest of the school they end up at the awards show where Lizzie is gonna perform. Meanwhile, Gordo actually sees Isabella at the airport and confronts her and between the two of them they figure things out and they also go to the awards show. And Lizzie is now there with Paolo, who's for the thousandth time, he's manipulating her and trying to reassure her that everything's gonna be fine. She buys into it until Gordo and Isabella arrive. She doesn't believe them at first until Isabella repeats Paolo's like signature line to show that, you know, Paolo's not genuine. And I guess he says that to everybody or whatever. I really like that once Isabella recites that line and the realization dawns on Lizzie, she takes a moment to look over at where Paolo's getting his makeup done or whatever before she confronts that reality. It's like this quiet moment where we can really feel the shiny veneer wearing off and the beauty and attraction of this adventure she's been seeking is separating from the true person Paolo is. I quite like that part. I like that too. It's like she has to see for herself just one last time, you know? Yeah. So they actually devise a plan. But before that, I actually really like how Isabella is so confident when she tells Lizzie to just go ahead and she has a plan. But when Gordo asks her what it is, she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I really like Isabella. Yeah, I really like her too. And I like her dynamic with Gordo. <laughs> They're fun. But yeah, this is where we get to the performance where Lizzie, according to Paolo's plan, is supposed to humiliate herself. But Isabella shows up at the last minute and sings for her. And Paolo's revealed to be the lip-syncing fraud. And he's basically booed off stage, I guess. Yeah, because he actually tries to sing. 
Which is so dumb. I'm, I don't understand why he did this. Like, he already knows that he can't sing. That's why he lip syncs. <laughs> the thing is, like, he doesn't have any delusions about being able to sing, right? Like, that was never part of the character or the, whatever. So why would he try to sing? Now, like, his whole plan is to have someone who cannot sing stand in the place of Isabella. Yeah. <laughs> he already knows how that works. So if he opens his mouth and sings, then he already knows that that will be his downfall. And he does it anyway. Also, he is supposed to be lip syncing on stage, right? He's not actually singing. So technically, wouldn't there be silence? Because he's not actually singing, he's lip syncing. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's a funny moment to embarrass him the way he was planning on embarrassing Lizzie. It just doesn't make sense. It bothered me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, now everyone knows the truth about Paolo and Lizzie and Isabella take the stage and they perform the best song (laughs) (laughs) what dreams are made of okay again Lizzie is not a singer Isabella is not under the impression that Lizzie is a singer it is insane to me (laughs) that she would just be like take it away Lizzie and then leaves (laughs) she really does not give a shit anymore In a world in which this movie isn't weird and frames things differently than what is actually happening, this would be like Isabella's villain arc, right? <laughs> like, all along, Isabella is trying to sabotage Lizzie as well. Like, she is stuck in this contract, in this record deal that she doesn't want to be in, and the only way to, like, get her out of it is to tank her own career. And so her way is to also use Lizzie. <gasps> Can you imagine? That would be the real betrayal. Because that's the only reason why Isabella would fuck do this yeah and then the twist is that once lizzie starts singing she's actually good at singing and then she like does the performance then it's great and isabella is like foiled you know (laughs) that would have been something (laughs) there were so many stretches of time where lizzie was just on stage like lost and not doing anything and the music is still going and everything and it's like who is in charge of this award show where is the technical director it would have made more sense if they just performed it together so as everything wraps up, there's actually a scene where Sergei quits, basically. I really like Sergei. Not that they chose to make him the stereotypical caricature, but Sergei himself. Yeah, I like his little plot line with the chaperone as well. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. Oh wait, I have a question. What did you think of the look on stage? Lizzie's look? Yeah. I liked it. I mean, I liked the the first version with the skirt. Because, you know, when we were having that fashion show montage, you were saying the final outfit is probably going to end up being something really boring. I think the performance outfit kind of does live up to the outfits we saw on the runway. But yeah, when they take the skirt off to reveal trousers underneath, it's a little bit more generic looking. Okay, I liked the look with the pants. I hated the skirt. <laughs> it's not even poofy enough to be like a ball gown, ball gown. But when you put it that way, that it's supposed to be weird, the same way that the other outfits were at the fashion show montage thing, that makes me like it better. Like it is supposed to be like weird. Like I just don't get it. You know, I did. I don't get fashion. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is, at least it wasn't a giant inflatable igloo. You know, <laughs> that would have been fun better <laughs> <laughs> i think she should have gone with her first look i like that or the green one 
Yeah, the like Baroque look or whatever. Yeah. I really like how the end wraps up all the little threads. Like maybe it's a little cheesy, but I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's the sort of comfort you can expect from this kind of movie. And it works. (laughs) They deliver. I'll give them that. At the very end, there's this moment where Lizzie and Gordo go back up to the rooftop, which is like a secluded place that Gordo had initially shown Lizzie and where they had promised to have adventures together. It's kind of bittersweet knowing everything that happened afterwards where Lizzie kind of left Gordo behind. But I do like that after they have their moment, they leave and that's when the fireworks start up. I think it serves as a nice counterpoint to the earlier scene with Paolo when she was watching the fireworks with him because it's like with Gordo, Lizzie is already past all the fluff. It's not really necessary to indicate the depth of their relationship and it's like an unspoken agreement to have a different adventure together as they leave this place. That's a great reading. I love that. And it's also like they don't need the fireworks. When it comes to Gordo, she likes real life better. She likes herself better. She doesn't need to be Isabella or whoever. Yeah, you're right. In accepting Gordo, she's also accepting herself. That's great. I love that. At the end of the movie, the whole thing is supposed to be about Lizzie like gaining confidence. And the fact that she chooses to kiss Gordo, it very much is her making a move in this scene. It's not like they it's not like they both like lean in for a kiss or Gordo kisses her and she's like, Oh, I found the right guy. It's like she actively is like, I'm choosing now to make a move on Gordo. And I really like that. Yeah. And if you think about it, Gordo has been there throughout and often he's been the voice of reason but he's also been kind of a steadying force whenever Lizzie has been unsure. He was there trying to calm her down during the graduation speech and then also at the performance when Isabella left her alone on stage. He's the one who tells her to take a deep breath and reassures her without needing the words that she can do it and she's grasping that kind of relationship wholeheartedly instead of falling for the superficial type that she did with Paolo. Yeah, I thought I was gonna not like it. But like, I mean this in like the most complimentary way possible. I could take it or leave it. And I like that. Like, it's not the kind of kiss that ruins the movie. Like in Confessions of a Shopaholic, for example. (laughs) I think the kiss detracts from their relationship. Whereas here, they do it in such a way that it's just like the cherry on top. And it doesn't recontextualize their relationship. It doesn't cheapen anything that Gordo's done or that Lizzie's done. It doesn't change the value and how meaningful their relationship has been so far as friends. And I really like that. Yeah. I agree. And to an old time watcher of the show like I am, there's an extra layer of sweetness because this relationship would have been something that a viewer would be rooting for. So this is nice to get closure on it and end it with a lovely little bow. (laughs) (laughs) So an absurd conclusion, Isabella had meant to also (laughs) humiliate Lizzie when she told Lizzie to sing and take over the award show performance. Her evil plan was foiled by Lizzie's unexpected singing abilities. Honestly, I would watch a sequel with Isabella as the villain. That would be fun. I think you're just describing like that Vanessa Hudgens movie. High School Musical? (laughs) Yes, that one. (laughs) 
Can you imagine if I called High School Musical that Vanessa Hudgens movie? <laughs> so I think I would pair this movie with some apricots. Oh, you went for an unexpected option there. I thought you were going to say pasta <laughs> or pizza. <laughs> I would suggest gelato. That sounds pretty good to me. So now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, have your opinions changed? Would you recommend it? Yeah, my opinions have changed. So as I mentioned at the beginning, I grew up with Lizzie McGuire, the TV show. So it was really difficult for me to separate my experience of watching and enjoying the TV show with my experience of watching this movie. So I was really hoping that this episode would shed more light <laughs> on how I should feel about this movie now because I knew you wouldn't be 100% positive about it. So my initial reaction was like, I'm going to defend it as best I can. And then I was like, wait, does the movie deserve defending? Is it actually good? Like, would I be so invested in defending it if it weren't Lizzie McGuire? And I didn't know. I couldn't tell. I, <laughs> it's impossible. But now that we've gone through it, I do see it in a different light. And it isn't as great as I remember. <laughs> but that being said, I still think it's a fun time. <laughs> I saw so many reviews that called it like fantastical and a discount daydream and escapist and superficial and theatrical. I mean, I can't disagree with it, but I don't think that has to equal a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this discussion has definitely opened my eyes to flaws that I hadn't noticed before, but I still still had fun and yeah maybe that's because I was a fan of Lizzie McGuire as a kid but I don't care I still like <laughs> it and I would recommend it <laughs> I don't care <laughs> and you know what one more thing I am mad at Washington Post for calling it smug especially <laughs> it is not smug it's fun go away yeah I don't know that it's smug I think they're getting smug from like, oh, they knew this was going to be successful. But I don't think they're smug about it. Like, you know, the attitude you get from the Scream sequels, like they knew for sure this was going to be successful. Yes. Now that is smug. That's not the vibe I get from this movie at all. Maybe it wasn't created with as much heart and with as much dedication to great storytelling as the Hannah Montana movie. But I guess my absurd conclusion is that the Lizzie McGuire movie falls somewhere in between the Hannah Montana movie and the Scream franchise. <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. Here's my absurd conclusion. This movie is closer to the Scream franchise than it is to Hannah Montana, no. the movie. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. If it. As long as you're not comparing it to Monte Carlo, I'll take it. I don't think this is a good movie. Like, parts of this movie came from a good movie. P other parts <laughs> were, like, a 12-year-old trying to construct a logical play for their spring play it's so confusing to me you know how like <laughs> you watch an episode of riverdale and they are literally saying gibberish yeah it's like halfway there Oof. it's not the way that it is with riverdale where like the sentence that they are saying are like the sentence from the sims 
<laughs> it's not like that. It's more like the sentence that they are saying and the sentence that the next person is saying aren't from the same scene. Yeah. I am so confused by this movie. Especially because there are other scenes that work really well. Even when the lines are really cliched or really lazy, they make logical sense. But some other ones really don't. Like, I don't know what's happening in this movie. Yeah, mainly the scenes between Lizzie and Paolo, I would say, are like that. Yeah. And actually, I think the description of it seeming like it's been written by a 12-year-old kind of fits shockingly well. <laughs> no offense to 12-year-olds, but it's kind of like a depiction of a love story that you might dream up when you're a kid. Oh my god, yes! Where it just happens. Like you go from A to Z real quick and there's no sense of that slow development that real life relationships have to go through before you get to like unconditional love to the point where you would do anything for this person. But I enjoyed watching it. It was really fun, especially <laughs> the good parts. <laughs> it was especially fun watching it with you because you like this movie and I, I don't know, I had fun. I wouldn't recommend anyone watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so fun time. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes as much sense as the movie. <laughs> Very fitting. Well, that's all for our episode on the Lizzie McGuire movie. If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs>